is a repeat guest of the show. And actually, as I was preparing for today, I, I realized I think you were one of the first guests that we had on after I joined in 2020, um, which I was laughing because like I was very much like a podcast baby and I was like so nervous. Um, but and I also wanted to say um, I was looking over our notes from the episode and we noted how we could like hear you flipping through your pages of notes during our conversation. And like that, I don't know, that was just cool. You're prepared. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I wanted to reintroduce listeners who may not be lucky enough to know her yet. This is Dr. Kelly Elizabeth Wright, um, who is an experimental sociolinguist, a lexicographer, if I can say that right, (laughs) and um, a scholar activist working for linguistic justice outside the academy and interdisciplinary inside the academy. She identifies as a working class, black, biracial, cis, queer woman, and Afro-Lachian race in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dr. Wright conducts policy-driven research which combats direct linguistic barriers to access or more covert constraints on an individual's realization of their self-expression. Her research demonstrates through metalinguistic interviews and sociophonetic experimentation that Black professionals are monitored by the public and colleagues for standardized language use through machine learning that a century of sports journalism maintained social stereotypes, which we will get into today, and so much more. Mm. Um, She is also an accomplished lexicographer, working to bring new words like WAP and SUS into the dictionary alongside terminology from language communities traditionally underrepresented in reference works. Kelly, it is such a treat to have you back on the show and to learn from you, so thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, the news cycle has moved on and actually I had to do like a fair bit of kind of reading and reminding myself about what happened. Um, Mm. but today with you, we're going to talk about the truly like disgusting reactions to black LSU basketball player, Angel Reese during March madness and her gesture and like compare reactions to when white Iowa player, Caitlin Clark Clark played that made the same gesture during March madness. Um, so for, any other listeners who maybe can't totally recall what happened, do you remind kind of recapping for us what the whole thing was about? Because again, so much has been going on in addition to like fascism being increasingly retrenched. Um, so yeah. So what happened? What was the context? And yeah, kind of what, what was going on there? Yeah. So there's just so much, uh, to be honest. I, okay. So during the, um, the women's uh, basketball and and CAA championship um, when Angel Reese or, and the LSU um, Tigers became very close to uh, sealing their victory for that championship, Angel made a gesture where she points to her ring finger on her, you know, he, she points to her ring finger on her hand like, I'm winning. I'm bringing home this ring, <laughs> right? And then puts her whole face um, with palm, the palm facing towards her, like in front of her eyes and just kind of shakes it around that, that gesture is called like the, you can't see me gesture. Um, or like taunt it's been used in lots of different types of sports, but was popularized by like John Cena, the wrestler. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what's interesting about this is that instead of celebrating like LSU's first NCAA title, um, or like the incredible performance of this, this forward, um, uh, or, you know, both of these women instead they're, you know, 
pillorying her for participating in the game in like the most high stakes game of her life, like fully mm-hmm. essentially. Um, whereas like Caitlin Clark, this person that they said the gesture was like directed towards, um, had made the same thing, had made the same mm-hmm. gesture in the same tournament and folks were championing her for it, like standing behind her. Absolutely. And, and if I remember like some of the comments, was it like Keith Olbermann? I mean, there were several commentators who I think, I think most of them were white, were calling her classless. That was like the thing that I remember seeing over and over again. And then I think Keith Olbermann, again, why any of them felt the need to comment on any of this is just bullshit. But he said, he called her classless and also like mindless, or maybe it was her act was mindless, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And so that the word classless is the one that certainly got repeated the most, Mm -hmm. but yes, Olbermann called her an idiot, Mm -hmm. said that it was, yes, um, you know, mindless, classless act, um, and went so far as to say that that single gesture overshadowed all the good that could come out of this tournament. Um, and then four hours later, um, apologized and said he didn't really watch women's basketball, so didn't have a lot of context for it. Um, yeah. And there were many, there were like, uh, you know, Danny Cannell of ESPN said that she was doing way too much there that it's that taunts are certainly part of the game, but that one had gone too far. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I know like, I have like some other specific questions to ask, but like, what is your kind of like initial read on the use of like the word classless, for example, because obviously there's like, so there's so much weight behind it, right? There's so much, so many kind of layers of discrimination behind it. So how did you read that? It's just, it's so, it hits me. It hits me. Um, that word in particular hits me in a lot of ways, but I think it's so stark because like a handful of days before (laughs) we see someone else in the exact same tournament, making the exact same gesture and she's not being called that at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, people are, you know, praising her for bringing her emotion into the game and saying that it's it's like good that she's like standing up for herself and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or like standing not even up for herself, but like in her own power, Caitlin Clark. And so this idea of somebody being classless is again like I, a lot of my work has to deal, has dealt with how acts that may be considered violent in a sport are for some people immediately elevated to the level of criminality. Mm. And so when, um, you know, we see like the Miles Garrett incident, again, we're reaching back a bunch of years. Um, and this is perhaps something that we talked about the first time I came on, but just the Mm. idea that um, a, a, a sport as violent as football, um, where there's some things that on that, on the court are considered a violation. They're absolutely a violation because they elevate past like what's considered a safe level of violence in this incredibly violent game. But for some people, they're just censured or fined, or it's dealt with within the play of the game. And for other people, they get pulled into the international media and called a criminal. 
So it's, it's like that of this, we, we wouldn't really accept people taunting us in the world, or even if you were in like a healthy competition or, you know, up for a promotion against someone in your job, you wouldn't imagine a scenario where you went in and you were like, like in their face, you know, like that would be a taunt, like a taunt in the real world would be something that maybe that word like classless or garbage or like whatever would make sense. But it doesn't make sense in the play of a game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense in the play of a game because it's absolutely expected. And so to say that somebody like has no class because they're acting in a way that wouldn't be expected in mainstream society or accepted in mainstream society, it just doesn't have a place there. And so it's like the same phenomenon of some people get to have their behavior dealt with within the immediate rules of the moment. And others are always sort of at uh, the mercy of the wider rules of society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And like one thing when I was like preparing for the episode and looking at what you had discussed with us last time is that with, um, right, with, with sports and with athletes is that not only is there like the, you talked about like the gaze of the expert and like the gaze of like the coach and the scout and things like that. Mm. And how there are all these people and like positions of power and obviously the commentators, sports commentators, political commentators. Right. And that, um, they are constantly like evaluating athletes um and kind of how that compares like black actors and black comedians or you know i I would i would venture to say you know queer actors queer comedians athletes as well right and so so it's part of it is like this enormous power dynamic that i think you're talking about right with this kind of this level of violence and kind of what context are we judging their behavior and their character does that make sense absolutely right okay yeah absolutely and you're so right because it's really we think about maybe these things like classless idiot garbage is, um, you know, dog whistles or perhaps like these other like coded words that are problematic in some way or indicative of this larger thing. Um, but those, there's like an inherently negative event in the middle of this. But when you think about like coaches and scouts and the ways in which just the media in general covers like the exploits of athletes, um, And most of that is not negative. Most of that is saying like, look, this person is doing something incredible. They're actually doing it better than I've ever seen. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're rising to the level of achievement here, but those same, these same patterns fall out. They fall out in the, in the ways in which we use language to praise and just describe activity. And it's a lot easier for us to see it in sports because we're dealing with these like scenarios that are based on these artificial rules. Like everyone agrees that this is how the play of the game should go. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that kind of level of like tacit agreement in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. So it, there's just like, it's f- everything, all the rules are fuzzier. And because mm-hmm. of that, it's, you know, yeah, it, it's not as easy as, as easy for us to say like, mm, this is a problem. Or I think another point that you made is really interesting is or important to me, at least, like I'm a ratio linguist, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or, or I work in ratio linguistics, and that makes it seem like everything that I'm interested in is about race, but it's really about people being non-normative, um, and so it's it's not white versus black or men versus women. Um, it really is just what was expected in this in this you know context, and if you don't fit that expectation 
there's like a little bit of a handicap to borrow a sports term, right. From that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think that some of these examples, like these examples that we're talking about today that are really about a motion, it doesn't really have anything to Nobody, nobody touched anyone else. Nothing was broken. Nobody said, nobody even said anything. There were no raised voices, <laughs> right? This is, it's not, many people would not even consider what happened to be linguistic, right? But I never, it's so funny. I never thought like, I, I did not even think about that, right? That this is about gesture. Like, you know, that the people are analyzing these gestures and it's, the, so is the language that we're, that we're analyzing is what the commentator's response to this gesture? Or do you consider, I guess, like a hand gesture to be a form of language? I'm just, I don't know. I'm just kind of speaking out of my ass here. No, I'm you're wonderful. You it's a great question because I, I certainly do. I consider gesture to be part of language because signed languages have True. histories yeah. that are perhaps even longer than spoken language. True. Um, and also that... Yeah, we can't, it's very difficult for us to speak without using or, you know, inhabit a communicative space even without using our entire bodies. Like even if you're sitting in a room writing by yourself, (laughs) you're still using your, you know, your body to communicate, um, uh, the way, yeah, like you're actually creating actively creating symbols, but you're also, you know, doing these other things. So for me, I don't, I don't place barriers between like speech writing and sign, but they're certainly necessary for like analytical reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. And as as you're explaining this, I'm thinking, well, like, duh, of course, when I transcribe oral history interviews, like I include facial expressions, you know, like, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. So no, that's totally true. I, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, there's not a duh there. It's easy to forget. It's easy for us (laughs) all to forget because we're doing it continuously. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, as, as you said earlier, there's been quite a bit of times this has passed and there's like so many, there have been so many analyses of what happened. And, um, one that I really, really appreciated was another friend of the show, Dr. Letitia Brown, Letitia Brown, who wrote for first and pen, um, a really, I thought a really interesting discussion. And she argued that this was like another example of how, um, black girls and women are not seen as fully human. And I remember us last time also talking about language just being used to dehumanize people. And so how it is kind of her, how did her analysis compare to like your understanding of um, how our society, our rate supremacist society dehumanizes black people and how black women might respond to it? Yeah, I really, I really appreciated um, her take a number of things that in, in this article were like really nuanced. So I hope your mm-hmm. like readers can maybe we'll check it out, even though it's a little after the fact, but she, she points to a, a number of things. One of them is how like, again, like watching sports can help us sort of unmask these other practices that are like part of our wider society. And I, uh, you know, these examples of black women in particular who use their bodies to achieve, um, who work very physically. Um, and so they're, because they put themselves in that kind of context, anyone who puts themselves in a public context where they're using their body continuously, like invites the public to comment, Mm -hmm. um, to comment on how your body is moving and working. And I think there is, 
some level of that with every person who inhabits a non-normative body. I mean, you might, that, that people feel like they have a right to comment on it. So you take, for example, I ha- I have a friend, um, who wrote, um, his name is uh, Dr. Court Schneider. He wrote a book about being a disabled runner. He has cerebral palsy and he runs on crutches. Um, and he, in, there's a section in his book where he speaks about how people, he doesn't like to use public transit, even though it's part of his daily life. And it's because people inevitably say, ask him something about his disability on the bus. And then usually say something along the lines of a, you're an inspiration or B, if I had to live like you, I would kill myself. Oh, both horrible. Both horrible. And he was like, I would so much rather be called an inspiration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, let yeah. me inspire yeah. you to live or do something better instead yeah. of you looking at me slightly less mobile than you and you can't imagine how to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that somebody could even, I have this folder that I use in my teaching that is called shit people feel like is okay to say to you because of your body. <laughs> It's a very long folder, but the students, as soon as they get the idea that, oh, okay, I totally understand this practice, they just pour examples into it. Mm -hmm. So most Mm -hmm. of it is stuff I haven't even, you know, I didn't, I didn't pull together that are, it Mm -hmm. comes from really outside of my own experience. And so I think this idea of like dehumanization, there really is actually just the smallest group of folks who ends up being outside of that, of, Mm -hmm. I don't think I have the right to say anything about how you live. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. The idea of that folder, I mean, yeah, on the one hand, I imagine it's just like reading it as like an onslaught of just like emotional, intellectual onslaught of like how to kind of process all these things. But I could see how, (laughs) I could see how it could be like really, helpful for students to kind of recognize in their own lives, maybe vis-a-vis themselves or other people. Um, so like pedagogically, I could see that's really effective and I'm thinking like, oh, wow, reading, reading these yeah. submissions, like, wow, that was really tough. Um, yeah, it'll be a fun thing for like, you know, a research assistant in the future to sort through. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that's great. That's great. It's sort of like, what did, what did, what did you think of, of her take on sort of like how black women might, might respond? Cause I thought that was like a really powerful part of the piece about how like Angel Reese responded. Yeah. I really think that this is interesting because in the same way that, okay, maybe a lot of us, most of us, and I say us, like the non-normatives right, <laughs> recognize that there's like, there's a tension on us. And because of that, it really affects the way we, you know, fully express ourselves. But there are these moments where individuals really rise above like whatever constraints that's placed on you and, and just start to speak. Like I loved, I loved Angel Reese's response to this mm-hmm. because even in the moment, like when she got the, like right after the championship, basically courtside interview, she said she blew it off like a thing, you know, she blew it off. <laughs> right. I mean, she essentially said like, I was in my bag. I was in my moment. Like, 
I just won, (laughs) you know, like that's what happened. Like I was experiencing victory, (laughs) you know? And so, but then, you know, when called to reflect on it, I like that what she said was like, this was for the girls that look like me. This Mm -hmm. was, this was bigger than me. And, and it makes sense why she would feel everything that she felt in that moment, you know, why she would be like, so unapologetically herself. I've seen like so many people and her use that phrase of I'm unapologetically myself of just being able to embody passion in the game and like live her whole moment. That is like something that I just don't see black women doing or, or feeling able to do. Mm-hmm. in my, in my work, like the folks I interview. And so I think Leticia Brown highlighting like the ways in which people, people either take or don't take these moments to defend or ex- explain or express themselves was really important part of this coverage that really, I think got left out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, and I want to transition to kind of like, and we may have dove into some of this already with some of my like off the cuff kind of uh, comments or remarks earlier, but you know, as a sociolinguist of race, like, what do you, what did you read about what was happening here? Cause I know like you reach out to me and you had very, like you had, you had a lot of thoughts about kind of yeah. what was going on. And so like, yeah, how, how do you understand this in terms of like, you know, language is violence and, you know, describing black people, black women in a certain way. And yeah, I'm just, I really just want to hear how, how did you read this using your expertise? It's just some things that I, that happen, just send me into a fury. <laughs> um, and mainly it's like, I look at the world and I'm like, what's wrong with you? And then I look back at my field and I'm like, why does anyone care? Um, yeah. I, because this kind of thing has been going on for so long. Like we saw even, okay. What is aside from the, the badness of this situation, linguistically, what is interesting to me is how what is happening with Angel and a handful of others. Like we can talk about um like excessive celebration, you know, like Cam Newton versus Aaron Rodgers back in the day, and then people who are getting fined for dancing and you know, end zones. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> there's there's so much that feels like it falls into this non-linguistic space for a lot of researchers. But for me, what it demonstrates is that big word here, ratio-linguistic ideologies. And sort of what we mean by that is this, this comes out of some scholarship. It's like a theoretical concept that doesn't mean it's not real. It just means we're still working on trying to understand how it functions <laughs> is <laughs> that it's, it's the ideologies are ideas. There are these things that we carry in our minds about how we understand the world to work. Um, they were not always conscious of them. Our racio-linguistic ideologies are what I'm what I meant by a handicap. The idea that anybody who's in a body that doesn't make sense for this um, or hasn't historically made sense for whatever we're discussing um, is just gonna be at it. They're just never gonna be able to produce language in any form that people think is great or perfect or doing exactly what it should be doing in that moment. And so that literally means like, I can write the very best paper you've ever seen. I can give you a paper with all, everything is perfect. It's formatted. Everything's cited. I haven't missed the point in it. And I'm, I'm getting a B. (laughs) I can never get higher than a B, (laughs) right? Just because of how I 
inhabit space. And so that, that's what racio-linguistic ideologies tell us is that it sounds really nefarious, but it's essentially that we know some things about how bodies work (laughs) and that affects the way we perceive just in general, how we see touch, taste, hear, smell, right? All of that has to do with like who we are and where we are. And so who and how people say you are really matters because you come into a world that's already in motion. And so for Angel Reese, she, this black woman, she, you know, was black before she was born, which is like a weird thing to think about, (laughs) but she sort of has this, this conviction where she said, I want to stand firm in my beliefs. She said this in public, like, I want to speak for people who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. And what upsets me having watched her come up and, and have this experience is that she didn't get to fully experience her win mm-hmm. because she got to do this media tour after this historic win, this first title for her school Um, something she'd always wanted. And she spends the entire time talking about BS, which that's, that's for me, that's why I wanted to come on and be like one of the voices that was like, this was so, this was not that, (laughs) which I think like a lot of people have already said, because like Caitlin Clark even came out and was like, Mm -hmm. everyone needs to leave her alone. Like she Mm -hmm. should not be being criticized. This is part of the game. Like, but it took, it literally took this other, this woman who was apparently victimized to come out and say like, y'all don't know what you're talking about for them to, for it to like actually fizzle out. Um, and I think that that's really actually very similar to something else that you and I were talking about, which is what happened during the world cup, mm-hmm. um, which I'm happy to, you know, go into, but it's, it's the same thing of like, that was about a gesture. And to me, I it helps me do the work that I'm doing out in the world when I can when I have these examples where I can point to and say, it's not just speech. It's not just about how you sound on the phone or what, you know, what you say. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we can, we can go and pivot to the world cup. And I mean, when you raise this, I, I mean, I, I, didn't even remember this. Like, I didn't even remember this happening. So I was so glad that you brought it up because I looked at him and it was like, oh shit, <laughs> this is so similar and seems really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So from my understanding and, and, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, there was at least much less media attention than, oh, yeah. that I could kind of find. Um, but it seemed that in the world cup last summer, um, the several players of the Moroccan team, I think three players like did a hand gesture, which is basically like just pointing their middle finger up at the sky. And there was a white German commentator that totally misidentified um, the player's gesture as um, a reference to ISIS or like a call to ISIS. I can't, there were a couple different Mm -hmm. things. Um, Yeah. And so like, what was your understanding about it? I know you'd said you did some like informal writing about it. So I'd be really curious. Um, Yeah. What you thought? Yeah. Yeah. There's um... Um, a little bit of that. And there's an interview I can share with you on uh, YouTube um, from that time. But it's, yeah. So Abdul Hamad Sabiri, who is a um, player on the Moroccan team, the, for the, for those who like don't watch the world cup or listen to it, 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 it was a big deal this year for African teams. Mm-hmm. So all of these African teams made it into the, you know, the, the semifinal, the quarterfinals, the quarterfinals. And and so this Moroccan team like had never advanced that far 
So it was before that game was played, but just knowing that they were going, it was an achievement, not only for their country and these individuals, but also for like the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. So it meant, I mean, again, again, we have like mm-hmm. a scenario where it certainly makes sense for this person to be like in their feelings and celebrating and doing mm-hmm. everything that they would do as an individual and not like a public figure, which again, like we accept from so many people, but yeah, this German news program, uh, the, the gesture is like an index finger. It's what the gesture is. What is on a foam finger? Mm-hmm. So if anyone's ever been to a sporting event and picked up a foam finger, that's the gesture. It's what it's the index finger pointed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. We're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No one, there is not a person in the United States that cares about this. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody cares. No, there are so many. You pick up up, uh, any high school paper, any paper reporting any high school championship, (laughs) everybody is doing like the squat with the finger up. Like it's not, it's normal. It's, but for Abdel Hamid um, and the majority of the Muslim world, this gesture is about thanking God. Mm -hmm. And that gesture, this finger up, like we're number one foam finger gesture is also about thanking God for many U S athletes. Like we see Mm -hmm. this, we see it. We see people talk about it. We see people do the gesture and say like point to God and say, whatever. Okay. It's not uncommon, but what happened was that this German news program reported, reported, um, that Sabiri's gesture because he's the one and there were, there were others, but his, it was his picture that was popularized, um, had caused quote irritation (laughs) Mm. because that salute is the same as the so-called Islamic state salute. Mm. And so, which is, which was used after like, they, you know, destroyed places as they were like making their conquest. And so, yeah, it's just it's it's it is the exact same scenario in which we have people like Ronaldo and Messi who are the greatest soccer players alive. Um, you know, in the in the handful of days after this German news coverage happened, we've got Turkish people in Germany and mm-hmm. um Muslim re- sports writers here in the United States and folks all over being like that is not what this is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That is not what this is. But for me, I'm like, but this got all the way to the international press first. Like, no, there was no, there was no one who was checking anything at any point in this German news office. He was, there were no, no alarm bells rung. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, part of what some of this coverage, like, I understand what clickbait is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the same time, like, there is a level of acceptance here. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was kind of thinking about as you're talking like different, um, kind of symbols and gestures that like athletes, you know, tend to make like religious ones, right? Like, yeah, like different ones thinking like Christian God when like people don't accuse someone who's like doing, you know, the cross or, you know, maybe they have Mm -hmm. like a cross necklace and they'll like kiss it and kind of hold it up. Like no one's saying like, Hey, that's Christian imperialism. Right. (laughs) When like, you know, that could very well be, you know, that's a claim that could be made to, you know, kind of depending on who the person is doing it. And then, um, and then I also read something, um, somewhere that there's like 
also a connection with the fact that like some of the Moroccan players have been showing a lot of solidarity with Palestine Mm -hmm. with like posing pictures of flags. And, um, I don't remember quite the conversation about, um, um, Israeli aggression in Palestine last summer, but like in Germany, there's been a whole lot going on the last couple of years, basically like Germany being so devoted to like this very narrow understanding of like Holocaust remembrance and anti-Semitism, and like research shows basically staking their national identity on this in a very like nationalist and I would almost say white nationalist way uh-huh. that like as a result any critique of Israel in Germany is like people just dogpile them for calling them anti-Semites um, as opposed to being like dude you can critique a state and not not the, the association is not that every state is like every Jewish person right, right. like that's actually anti-Semitic too so like um, it seemed that there was like a connection there but again I yeah, only saw no, like, a couple lines about that you're absolutely right you're absolutely right the reason why Sabiri is singled out in this coverage is because he's wearing a Palestinian flag. Mm-hmm. He of the there there are there are earlier pictures from the day, like from the day when they're on the field, um, with three him and two other players, and they've got their fingers up. That's on the field. But there's another picture, like from when he's like it's like an Instagram post, and he's at home and he's like writing about how much this means. And also, yeah, using the moment when there's a bunch of eyes on him to advocate for Palestinian nationalism, for freedom, Mm -hmm. for their rights. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you should, you know, I mean, that's the thing is like, we've Mm -hmm. seen people Mm -hmm. get in trouble for Kaepernick being like the most relevant U.S. example, but there are many others of you, you don't get to protest in the this way. Like we understand you have a grievance. This grievance is real, but this isn't the time or place. You say that to somebody who is very aware in their moment, in their life, and their that this is it. Like this may be the only time that the world is listening to me. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not gonna hear me, I have to say what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And for this person to just really not even pay attention to it. Like really not even be bringing attention to the plight, but just to say that this is a state and I recognize it, mm-hmm. you know, that's courage that most Western leaders don't have. Absolutely. And I think kind of like one, of, I mean, there are obviously as, as I hope has been evident in this conversation, there's a lot of like t- threads between these two cases. And I mean, one of them, I mean, in fact, in in addition to the fact that it's like analyzing a gesture and like Western, you know, white normative press kind of hopping on it and making these like racist value judgments is the fact that like both with Angel Reese and, you know, uh, Women's March Madness and the World Cup, right, is that both of them, you know, these moments represent a time where we have more and more people from, say, the global south or black and brown people are in the U.S. or both simultaneously that have more access to these stages, right, to these arenas, to having this platform that you're talking about. Um, I think I saw somewhere that, I mean, you already mentioned how more, like, African nations participated in the World Cup this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw um, a quote that's talked about how... um, the LSU-Iowa game was the most watched women's college basketball game in the history of, t- of TV yep. with almost 10 million viewers. Um, and that um, the Final Four this year was the ESPN's most viewed Final Four on record 
with 6.5 million views and that the three game uh, Slater series saw an 87% increase from 2022. So, right. We have like, there's such like a surge. There's like, there is so much momentum. Mm -hmm. And so obviously what's going on, at least what I think is what's going on, right. It's like this global kind of fascist backlash to these like simultaneous dynamics that are happening in different parts of the world. I don't know. That's what I think. What do you think? I mean, I think it's certainly, I think that that is part of the reason why we're seeing more coverage mm-hmm. because because okay language changes like as society changes it's a natural it's a natural system so it's evolving with us like everything else like our waterways um <laughs> and it, i mean it's it seems silly maybe but it is just that natural right it's just part of the of life now mm-hmm. language is part of life and so when when we look at like why like maybe why is this happening or why are we more aware of it or or the question of like is this happening more often because of x i think that that is i think that there's a chance that a it's maybe more visible because of our connectedness So if we think about like the depth of time, (laughs) people were absolutely using language in these same ways, right? People were calling each other classless before class was a thing. (laughs) If we want to think about it that way, but it wasn't, you know, we just didn't know it was happening or we didn't have a way of recording it. So one reason why it seems perhaps that there's like more of this happening is just because we're more aware of it. It's like more visible, but then also language changes as society changes. So we know that populist movements are on the rise that, you know, fascist doctrine is being enshrined all over the world. So, um, I think that one reason why this coverage seems to be expanding these types of this types of language use, which I've been looking at since 2015. Mm-hmm. So I'm really maybe too keyed into it is that, um, society is changing and, and, and there aren't, there aren't those people who are there to say, this is an issue or this mm-hmm. might cause an issue because maybe the issues that it causes are what folks want. Mm-hmm. Um, or mm-hmm. it's not, or they know that it's not something they can get sued for at this point when, you know, we have a, we in the United States had a president who's literally on trial right now and still mm-hmm. gonna run. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like yeah. they're like, who cares if we call somebody classless? Like no one mm-hmm. is going to sue us, you know? And so I mm-hmm. think yeah. that there's like, that's what I mean in society evolving. It, it is perhaps not as agentive as people sometimes give it credit for, although that's certainly there. But in 2015, when I started doing this work, I was looking at Serena Williams Mm. and, you know, it was before her, you know, before her final championships and before her baby and before, you know, um, the Australian news coverage or the the Australian open where she broke a racket, Mm -hmm. right? Like I started working on her before that. And my original, a hypothesis for that research. Like when I went down that road was racism used to be overt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing it like move into a period of covert expression. And so like, how can we look at how racism works when I'm not pointing at you and calling you a racial slur? Like that is part of what 
why I started walking down this road, but then the world changed (laughs) and covert racism is certainly there, but it's just not measurable because so much of it just came out, Mm -hmm. just came right out. (laughs) And the anti-Semitism debate is, or debate issue, linguistic issue, uh, (laughs) free (laughs) liberation issue (laughs) is really, is really a thing. It's really a thing because people get tied in knots over this, like logical sentence structuring knots. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was it today? I saw that like Marjorie Taylor green, like I try not to, but yes, she did. Yeah. She, yeah. sorry, y'all. She said that, I don't even remember what it was, but it was the same as the N word. Yeah. I, that's why I was, I saw it very briefly and I was like, oh my God, I think I'll just keep scrolling. But oh, what did she say? I can't remember what word it was, but whatever it was, yeah. it, it ain't. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> they tried to say that Karen was the same as the N word. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, talking about someone's physical manner mannerisms are aggressive. I feel threatened by him. <gasps> Who? What? Is, okay. Was it Representative Bowman? Okay, I'm just getting like pieces as I'm trying to Google it. Um, okay. Okay, Marjorie Taylor Greene says that when people like Jamal uh, Bowman call her a white supremacist, it's oh. like calling a person of color the N-word. Oh, my God. I okay. mean, <laughs> oh my God. is it, though? <laughs> we actually have well, words for that. <laughs> I know. Okay, so okay, so one thing that I wanted that, again, and I know I keep referencing the other episode, and we will for sure link it in the show notes because I really, really encourage people to listen to. Clearly, I need to, like, re-listen to it. <laughs> um But, like, one thing that you really hit home on is this idea that, like, words are actions, right? Because a lot of people will say that, like, there's a difference between speech and action and that, like, words are not just words. Um, I don't know. I just think that's, like, such a – I don't know. Obviously, it's relevant to our whole conversation. But, like, this idea that speech is an act and that it doesn't take – like, it doesn't include taking a step – physical step forward for you to actually – enact something right it's such a thing okay so we talk about like and if people want to google this like we talk about speech act theory (laughs) like in our field and it is essentially that for any anything to be understood so for me to have for me to say something to you and for you to get it enough to respond to me in some way i'm like hello and you say hello (laughs) like for even for that to happen like on a physical level, it's an act because I am pushing air out of my body, <laughs> creating mm-hmm. a wave that then hits mm-hmm. your eardrum and has to be electrochemically induced. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's like the nerdiest way you can describe it, but it really is that of like, there are particles in motion, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. things have to be set in motion for this like loop to close. <laughs> you know, for you to hear me. And so taking that at like that most basic level that we are actually putting like molecules in motion when we talk to each other, that our brains have to do work, that our brains like move chemicals around to store information. All of that, like moving out, like starts to make a lot of sense when you are thinking like, 
that those words hurt my feelings. Like not, not everyone has had their feelings hurt by somebody else. Everyone has been in a scenario where somebody said something to you, you heard it, you took it in yourself and it was not what they intended, but you got all in your feelings, you know, like you had a moment where you're like that hurt. (laughs) Um, and it doesn't matter. It does not matter what they said, why they said it, how they said it, any of that. It's just like, this is how I feel now after hearing that. (laughs) Um, everybody has experienced that. I think that there's all this evidence about how like slurs work, for example. And, you know, when somebody uses language that is a a specific type of word that is designed to reach in and hurt you, it does, (laughs) right? It has a measurable physiological effect on the body. Um, and so when you think about Angel Reese, this young woman who had the best day of her life, sitting around and reading people who have never seen her calling her classless and telling her she's an idiot for fully experiencing the best moment of her life. That is the kind of thing that absolutely hurts. (laughs) You know, that absolutely is an act. It's an act. It's a choice. When you say something like that about somebody else, you choose to harm them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and you know, if it's, that's the thing is like, we spend a lot of time online telling everybody how we feel about everything, but you know, we're just, we're like just starting to reckon with the long-term physio, like a logical psychological effects of that. Oops. That's not scary at all. Gosh, I know there's so much more that I could say about speech. Well, okay. But here's the, here's the, here's the good side is that everything that works to harm Language also works in all of these other ways. It is yeah. the, it is what we use to uplift. It's what we use yeah. to describe beauty and joy and, and comfort each other. And so like the ways in which it reaches into us that hurts, it's also like the exact same way that it reaches into us to make everything better and good and help us build a nice world and, and keep people safe. That's like, that's why like understanding these, these really like intimate consequences of language use matter because it's the avenue for change as well, improvement as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just thinking no, like, oh God, people, I'm people really reading my Twitter guest, and I'm like, I'm like, oh God. Which I have heard, you know, I get that note. People will like send me comments when I'm in, they'll be like, she brought it down. And I'm like, yeah, no, I did. That's <laughs> why I dress I mean, so nicely. <laughs> yeah, man, I was thinking, I was like, man, we should have like, should have like planned to wear a caftans together and just uh, like chill and have this conversation. Wait, One day like, we will. Camera off and I was like, sold. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know, right? I caftan, know. I swear. <laughs> I mean, I'm living in sweats right now, but like I, I would like to be wearing a caftan right I've now. I've never been back um, to the office. Like since I'm still, since March 2020, I've been at home and nice yeah (laughs) so so one I one thing that I I wanted that you mentioned that I think was like really like clicked for me when you were talking about how like words are emotion and it's like like I like know that like words can be violence words can be an act like I know that but I think just like visualizing what you were saying about the breath going in and out and kind of hearing and the, the reactions that had happened and again something that you said last time was that this this um thing where like dynamism is not allowed for people of color. Mm. 
And I think like you talking about like Angel Reese not being able to like fully enjoy this like victory, this like life changing, this like defining moment that she is very aware of that's like it's for her but it's for like her entire community and then obviously with these Moroccan players I just it's I think it's just like such a powerful like sad obviously but like really kind of powerful way to kind of encapsulate a lot of what you're talking about is this like dynamism this like movement in certain ways is simply not allowed due to white supremacy. Oh, yeah. So, and I think, I thank you for framing it in that way. Um, talking about like white supremacy, because, um, I feel like I, I get a lot of flack for this. There's, there's one guy on the internet who, every time I mention this publicly likes to come in and post on my page that I'm a dumb broad which oh. <laughs> that whole thing is like, oh you dumb broad. I'm like, what are you, 150? Like, what? <laughs> um, but also, it's like, I'm now like, I'm glad someone's listening regularly, you know, to my content. Like, at least he's out there getting mad. Um, but I, uh, this, this, this white supremacy thing for me, it's very similar to, we're talking about like racism, which certainly exists and like racialization, how like the ways in which these words like classless idiot garbage, like why did those people pick those terms? Yeah. You know, it's not like we're saying that over oh, like Overman was sitting down like, like twisting like some mustache and being like, <laughs> I, my racist plot like comes together. Let me pick mm. all these terms. Like, no, it wasn't that agentive. There's a reason why we reach for those terms when we're describing certain actions and certain actors. And that is part of this like dynamism thing that is just like not afforded to black women, non-normative people. Um, in my, my dissertation, um, which I finished last year, it, it was about black professionalism and the ways in which black people of all different ages and in all different professions have very similar linguistic experiences. And part of that is I don't, I'm not my full self here. I'm not my full self at work. I'm not my full self at work for all of these different reasons. Cause my parents told me it wasn't safe to be because my teachers told me it wasn't safe to be because the people around me at my job, the other people of color around me at my job hold me to a higher standard because I'm here. So a lot of people talk about how other black people are their worst critics. And we mm-hmm. see that with Angel Reese too. We see that of like when people are commenting on her gesture, it is black folks on the internet also saying like you couldn't just win something and not act ghetto mm-hmm. like buy you Barbie what's wrong with you you know mm-hmm. and that kind of thing is like we get the policing from our own communities we get it from outsider communities we get it from our contemporaries we get it from our parents we get it from the, the horror stories they told um for anyone anyone in the present any black person in the who reaches past all of that, who's able to like rise above all those narratives in their own mind and just say, I'm going to be myself today. Mm-hmm. Like for most of us, it is a choice. It is like this very present agentive choice where I, I had this one uh, interviewee. He was 25 years old, aspires to be the mayor of Detroit. 
<laughs> which is amazing. Like, I hope it happens. Um, and he said like in his very, his second job ever, he was like, uh, at, you know, at 16, 17 was already completely disgusted with having to put on a mask every day mm-hmm. and decided that if him being himself at work was going to limit his opportunities, then they weren't opportunities he wanted. Mm-hmm. And now he works for a nonprofit and he does all this stuff. I mean, it was just, it's, it is so, that is like that, that dynamism is what I mean is just like, there are some people who just wake up and exist that they get to respond to life as it unfolds to them. And that's never really a consequence. There's never really a consequence for that. And I think that most people do not experience that kind of linguistic freedom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am all out of questions, but I wanted to ask, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with respect to Angel Reese or the Moroccan team, um, that we didn't get it, that I didn't ask about, we didn't get a chance to to discuss? I guess I don't, I don't, I wonder maybe what you have been, you know, an athlete, a professional and, 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 and all of these things like in these fields for so long, I wonder if you sort of see like what do you see for the like future of this type of coverage just like sports journalism in general maybe or like how we talk about players now that we're more connected because i feel that their voices are so much more present than they ever were before and mm-hmm. we're starting to have conversations about biased media in different veins and so i just i wonder like with all of these things present in the moment like where do you see us going yeah. Wow. That's such an excellent question. Um, I'm, I'm all over the map because you're right in the sense of like athletes in a lot of ways have more power and they're, they're realizing that they have more power, right? They're realizing that they have, they have their own platforms. They have their own, you know, social media, um, you know, profiles that they can, you know, college athletes for better, you know, for, I wish, you know, the, our schools would pay them for their athletic labor, Mm -hmm. but they can, at at the very least they can go out and do gig work and like get their own deals or whatever that they, in some ways they have more control over, um, what they present to the world and how much they can say and stuff like that. Um, on the other hand, you know, they are much more exposed, right? Mm-hmm. The, the kind of more that they do this, the more likely that people will choose to find whatever they're doing to be as like offensive or, you know, take issue with or whatever. And I think the thing with the sports media, I, I do think that there are like more people that are becoming like more and more attuned to some of these issues. Mm-hmm. The issue is that there's like the broader media landscape that's been like defunded, you know, corporatized, defunded, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Right. So like that is like utterly collapsing. Like, for example, there's a lot of like 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 local journalism has been, you know, killed off for decades. And like local sports journalists yeah. are the ones that like actually like go to the games are big, advo- you know, big advocates for athletes on a, like a, and like smaller towns exactly. and smaller places because these athletes can like actually, whether it's bring big business to their small town or bring more notoriety or kind of whatever it is. And that's really been, been killed, you know, been slowly like, you know, choked to death for a long time. Um, I think with, I, I, and I, I don't remember the exact details, but there was the incident, I think it was summer 2021 
with, God, I don't remember any of their names now. Uh, the e- the women at ESPN, there was like the black woman and then there was a white woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? I cannot. Mm, I'm mm, so mm, bad mm, with mm, details. Mm. If I don't have it in front of me, I can't remember. But there was like that incident where they were like, um, basically like several um, ESPN commentators were like critiquing this black woman. I wish I remembered what it was and maybe I'll put it in the show notes. I'll kind of clean, clean it up later. But it just was like really depressing, really sad because it just seemed that like there still is not enough empowerment and like support for journal like minoritized journalists right so even though they may be right in 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 the in the room right they still have to abide by these really really complicated rules that are wrapped up in you know um cisgender you know cis supremacy white supremacy right all of these things um so i don't know i'm I'm like i'm really mixed because like for example earlier today i was recording with frankie de la creta about their fantastic piece about women swimming and transphobia. And they were talking about, um, and I think that episode will be released before this one. So I'm hoping that listeners will listen to both, Mm -hmm. but um, we were talking about how um, in 2022 USA swimming, um, there was this big meeting between a bunch of like anti-trans activists that included a, like hundreds of people from the U.S. 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 swimming community to basically strategize. I think we think it was to strategize to basically how can we create more stringent like anti-transgender controls in order to address supposedly like the Leah Thomas issue, even though there was no issue with uh, Leah Thomas. Yeah, yeah, it was so bad. But like one thing that that Frankie brought up that I didn't know about was the fact that like the journalists that were allowed to be to to be in the meeting were not allowed to um cite or quote and or write down any of the names of the people there oh and and we talked about how like this is journalistic malpractice and so like that's a very like specific example but yeah. it just makes me really question like where are we going with sports media and i know it's not just about sports media but like where are we going and people like frankie who's amazing is freelance and like most of the sports journalists that i follow right. and really value are freelance so like they don't i know they just don't have much stability they don't have much access and so i mean they have i guess i should say they have different kinds of access not you know i think they do have different kinds of access and maybe that gives them some benefits in some ways, but so I'm just, I don't know. Like, I think they're on the one hand, there's like a lot more people that have a stronger voice that, ha- that are able to, to shape the conversation in ways that were not possible even like one year ago. And I think mm-hmm. that will just keep getting better. Of course, depending on what happens to Twitter, right? What happens to all these different <laughs> platforms, which is a big question, but I, I don't know. I just see sports media as like such a mass like crapshoot and i just think it's totally structured to profit off of athletes bodies and we know the most profitable bodies have long been right people of color black people indigenous people so i guess on a sad note i'm just like not that helpful but i but i think as you said like the fact that like people like angel reese like she on the one hand like it sucks that like she has to be that strong Cause that I imagine is like such a burden that like, I certainly as a white white woman could never have handled in my twenties, however old she is. But like the fact that she did that is, is that much more amazing. It just sucks that like we, we as in like white people put her in that position, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said this. It doesn't, it's not, it's not a bad note. It's just, it's, it's helpful for me to hear because I folks, I, I get asked, 
You know, I talk about these issues, Mm -hmm. I bring everybody down and then everyone (laughs) is like, what can we do? You know, or what, what do I take away from this? What do I take back to my room full of journal editors, you know, Mm -hmm. or you write like I, there, there, there is actually a group of editors that I, I come and talk to every once in a while. And so it's like those folks, um, it's called that word chat. If anyone wants to check it out, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. even nerdier than this. If you can imagine that. But it's, <laughs> and so, the, but it's, it's that of like, they're, they're like, what do we do? Or can you give me a list of words I can't use anymore? Or how do I, you know, what do I do? And I'm like, I, I that is not my area. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I am not a journalist. I don't, I don't write with a style guide. I don't, I, I, I understand the history of them, but I, I couldn't, I, the way that these things are employed in practice is so it is becoming more regimented, has always been regimented and is becoming more regimented. And as you say, we, we know that folks have been being kept out of official briefings and meetings and and having their, like you said, like their journalistic integrity, like violated. And also like, I am also a freelance writer and I really don't pull a lot of punches when I write. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, I really don't get published very often. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 but it is not, my living, you know, I don't make a living from that. And if I did, I would have to write differently, you know? And so it's, it's very that of, um, this is a profession. It's not just, um, it's not just reporting. It's not just people telling us what happened. And because of that, it comes with all the caveats that every other profession comes with. Um, and so telling one person in one place, a list, even though a list is very difficult to generate, if I could, and get them to understand like how it was best applied that would only serve that one institution. And that one institution may not actually be able to produce content in a way that stood out differently from others, or it would never be marketed. So it's, yeah, there's, there's so much going on. And it's interesting to me to hear your perspective from somebody who's like really involved in these conversations all the time. (laughs) <laughs> this very long, nothing answer except to say that it's helpful for me to hear what you have to say. <laughs> no, yeah, and you know, I, I think it's this in, this this interesting thing of people coming, and they they ask me this too, where it's like, well, yeah, what can we do? Yeah, give us a list, and like, how can I do things the right way? How can I make sure everything's perfect? And like, I think about that too sometimes, <laughs> you know, like you know, where it's just like I just want to get it all right, and it's like someone, you know, it's like it's it's not the goal is to not be perfect because that's not attainable. I mean, even the idea of perfectionism is white supremacist, as I learned um, during the dockage thing. Yeah. <laughs> my chair, I was like sobbing on Zoom with my chair. I'm like, did I handle this right? And she's like, perfectionism is a tool for white supremacy. Don't aim for it. I was like, oh shit, okay. Um, but um, but yeah, it, but, it, but it, 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 how do I say? There can never be a like a perfect list because things are always changing. Like things are always in motion. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about this, like students ask me kind of various, um, ask me a similar question in various different classes of like, well, how do we get, I don't know, how do we get like commemorative practice? Like if we're talking about a class on memory and nationalism, Mm -hmm. like how can we get a commemorative practice right so that we don't offend anybody? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, you can't because you, and I'm, and and I've started just saying you can't because you can't predict the future, right? You literally cannot, you cannot predict the future. You do not know how things are going to change. And like, the goal is not to be perfect. The goal, the goal is like 
the journey, which sounds very like woo woo, but, but like the, the, the goal is like the learning process and like how do you like how do you adjust things if you realize something is not working? How do you take criticism and be like, all right, maybe this criticism really really hurts, maybe it really hits home, but like how are you going to act on it and how are you going to work with others to make it? to make it better to support other people, if that makes sense. It's very that. It's so, I love that you said it this way because it's like, you just need, you need to be like purposeful or, you know, about, it really does like start with the self, which is hard. People like want that people want to be able to like take something and and just apply it. But it is like, what you have to apply is like the self-reflexive critique of it all of like, because we stop ourselves from saying things all the time. We have like a personal editor. It's like, it literally is in our brain. It's like a cluster of neurons. And that is the thing that fails when you say the wrong word, like, you know, when you have whatever people call like a Freudian slip or, mm-hmm. you know, you blurt out, like you say, like incognitable or something. And it's like <laughs> not a word. It's like your editor was just like falling down the job for a sec, but that, <laughs> but there's like so many things that that function. It, it Anyway, the thing is like, we aren't aware of what we need to be paying attention to until we're aware of it. <laughs> we cannot yeah. predict the future. And so it's like, I could give you a list that would work for a very specific context for some actors. And nationalism is the perfect example of this because mm-hmm. we have, this is actually how I became a linguist, <laughs> right? Was looking mm-hmm. into the national, the nationalism in Ghana and the ways in which a, you know, an African nation that was colonized by the British became their own flagship nation in, in Africa of being the Mm. first, you know, independent nation that, you know, wrested themselves from colonialism and said, we want to create an Africa for Africans, but they did every single bit of administrative work, public work, public writing, all of that was in English. Mm. And so for me, I was like, how? It's like you said, it's like, how do you create new symbols? How do you give us songs? How do you write, make a stamp when none of that is African actually, (laughs) you know, like what does it mean to put the symbol of your president in a cocoa pot on the stamp if you're not anyway. And so if, if half of your population doesn't even understand the language, like how do you become nation in these constraints? Mm -hmm. And so for me, like those, those things that you know, these, these really big, wide collective endeavors that we can point to like all throughout history of saying, this is how a group of people became like unified. And this is like what it looks like on an administrative level, mm-hmm. the actual action that happens inside each one of those people in those, like yesterday I was a British citizen and today I'm Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. Like what has to change inside you is the same thing that we have to change inside ourselves when we sit down and we say, I'm going to use more inclusive pronouns now. Like people have mm-hmm. been telling me that he or she is not the thing to write. And so I'm going to write they, even though if I Google mm-hmm. this, it's going to tell me something different. Like I recognize that Google is slower than <laughs> us. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing of like, whenever you sit down and you check yourself and you say like, I've learned that there's like a better way to do this. I think is like that same. Yeah. It all really has to start with individuals and that makes it, it makes it really hard. It makes it really personal mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. again, like so many of us have been hurt in these ways that there's a, and, and, and language is how we do self that it becomes like, a really like remaking activity, which 
most of us are never in a situation where we're called to do that. We don't really have like the sufficient will for it. And that's not Mm -hmm. a criticism of humanity. (laughs) It is just Mm -hmm. an observation of how we exist, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, Kelly, this was such an awesome conversation. I'm so glad that we had this. I feel like I, like I said, I learned so much. Like as I always I do, that. always do from you. And the conversation went in so many really like interesting directions. I never thought we'd be talking about nationalism, but I teach <laughs> a class on it. And I, it's not my research area, but like I, I, I don't know. It's just such an interesting and like problematic thing to discuss. But um, thank you so much. This was such a joy to just chat with you and and talk to you today. Oh my goodness. I love that. I hope it, I thank you for saying we went in interesting directions instead of like you rambled for a full 40 minutes. I, no, I you did not. You did not. I, I promise you did not. I had a lovely time. Thank you for having me back. Thank you.